Good morning. If you are, if this is your first time joining us, this is our final week in our series on prayer. In my family, my mum prided herself in teaching all of my nieces and nephews two main prayers, the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm. So by the time my nieces were six or seven, they knew these prayers off by heart. And one day I brought my nephew to church with me and uh, someone stood up and read the 23rd Psalm. And he looked at me, my nephew this is, and was like, auntie, he's saying our prayer. Or do you remember the very first prayer that you were taught? For me, it was a prayer that my nan nan taught me and my cousins and my brothers. And it goes like this, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child, pity my simplicity, suffer me to come to thee, amen. Or how about this, the long prayers people would say before eating food. My nan was notorious for that. She would do intercessory prayer for the nations. She would be praying for healing for any family members that were sick. She would be praying for the new church building to get a toilet that they needed. The list went on and we were sat there smelling the sweet aroma of rice and peas and chicken and we couldn't fit, start until the amen. My uncle was fed up of this, so he taught us this prayer to say before the meal. Thank you, Lord, for the world so sweet. Thank you, Lord, for the food we eat. Thank you, Lord, for the birds that sing. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Amen, let's eat. Like I said, prayer was a big part of, in our family. And, and whenever we gathered as a family, Nanan would gather us all when it was time to leave and she would get us to pray, including the children. And there's a famous story of one of my cousins when it was her time to pray. She prayed this. She'd had a bit of conflict with one of my other cousins before. And so Malika's prayer went like this. Dear Lord, thank you for my family. And Lord, give me the strength to punch Cheryl when she gets on my nerves. That prayer was swiftly ended with nervous laughter. But all prayer really is, is communication with God. Every relationship requires communication. And we know that communication comes in all forms, right? Today, I wanna to look at the relationship between prayer and worship. They are distinct, they're, they're different from one another. If you've been joining us with, um, for the 21 days of prayer, which have been absolutely fantastic, you'll know that there are times where we gather together, we, we pray out loud, we say words to God, we're interceding for nations, we're, we're praying out. Or there might be times in your own personal time when you're of prayer and you just sit silently and you pray internally. Prayer is a time when we communicate with God. And then worship, is often a time that we sing. We sing words of praise and of adoration unto the Lord. But although they are distinct, the lines between them are blurred. Take, for example, the book of Psalms. This is a wonderful example of an entire range of hu human emotions being communicated to God. And they are often in the form of songs. They were literally written to be accompanied by music. So if you open your Bible to a psalm, oftentimes you would see something like this. And it says, for the director of music, the sons of Korah. This isn't a modern addition to the Bible like some of our other headings would be. 
This is a part of the original text. These songs or these psalms were meant to be sung in worship. Many of you know I'm a worship leader. I love to sing and I will often sing my prayers to God. And I will do this now in, in this sermon. I will do that. And I, I want to invite you, please feel free to join me when I do. We pray to God for a variety of reasons, right? Sometimes we do it in giving thanks to him for what he has done and wanting to make sure that our, our heart and our souls recognise the greatness of God. And oftentimes I might sing a song like, Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks with a gracious heart. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ, his son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks. That can be my prayer and your prayer of thanksgiving to God for what he has done. There may be other times where you're praying to God for, a, you're making a request, you're asking God for help, provision, wisdom, vision. And oftentimes I do in my own times, I just sing out, God, I look to you, I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you, you're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. And in moments of anxiety and craziness going on, that really just gives me a sense of calm that I can look to God and use that song as a prayer of my heart. There are times when I use worship to remind myself of the faithfulness and the goodness of God and sing out something like, all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so, so good with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Again, such a great way to remind your soul to praise God and to remind yourself of his goodness. There are times where prayer is to express frustration or disappointment. And I love that we see this in the Psalm. For example, in Psalms 44, the writer is really frustrated with, with God even. And he says, awake Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and disappointment? 
You know, this is one of the Psalms that the Israelites, they would have sung together. Can you imagine rocking up to church on a Sunday morning singing this? We don't often sing songs like this, but again, prayer and worship is a time to be honest and vulnerable and open with what is going on in our hearts. I don't know about you, but I've at times felt like this. God, are you listening? Are you there? Are you turning your face to my misery and oppression or are you looking away? Our times of prayer and worship are also an opportunity to, to be open to God and talk to him about what's going on inside our hearts. So like I've said, the Psalms are a great example of um, how prayer and worship go hand in hand together. But there are other parts in the Bible that do the same. For example, um, in Paul's writings to the Ephesians, there's this great example of prayer and worship being intermingled together. So we're going to read um, Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 21. But before we do, I'm going to give a bit of background. Paul is telling the Ephesians, look, I've been sent to be an apostle to the Gentiles, the people who aren't Jewish, the people who are coming in to the faith, who are believing in Christ. And there's been conflict between these two groups. He writes in Ephesians 2 verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, that's the Jews and the Gentiles, one by destroying the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Paul really wants the Ephesians church to know that they need to be unified. They need to be unified so that they can do all that God is calling them to do. There's no space for a dividing wall of hostility among them. And then in the midst of this letter to the Ephesians, right in the middle, chapter three, verse 14, he just breaks out into prayer and he says this, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can think or ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I want to take four points from Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And the first is this. Is Paul's posture in prayer. You notice in verse 14, he says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. I have a question. Does the position of your body matter when you pray? Interestingly, the Bible never actually tells us to um, put our hands together and bow our heads. That's something that has come from culture, I guess, to help with distraction. But the Bible does seem to indicate that there is some significance in the posture of your body 
when you pray. So there are times when it says to lift up holy hands. We see examples of people like Moses lying prostrate in prayer. Or here when Paul says, I kneel before the Father. And the position of our body is there to symbolise our surrender, our submitting to God. But ultimately, we know that it, this is all about the condition of your heart, right? So you could be like Moses and spend 40 days in prayer lying before the Lord. But if your heart isn't right, and if you're just doing it so that everyone sees how holy you are, this isn't pleasing to God. Andrew talked about this a few weeks ago um, when he taught on fasting, that we all need to make sure that what we're doing outwardly is not as a display for others to see. And Jesus also taught on it in Matthew 6 verse 5. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. And this is the, the thing, to be seen by others. That's the motive of what they're doing. It's so that others can see what they're doing. Others can see their holiness. Now, we, we have a practice of praying publicly, worshipping publicly. I'm, I'm preaching to you and I, I lead worship. And one of the things that I do to make sure I keep myself in check is whatever I do public, publicly, I make sure I do privately. I spend time in worship. I spend time praying to God when no one else can see me doing it. The other thing to note here that, yes, our body matters in what we're doing, but also if the Holy Spirit is prompting you to kneel in prayer, to raise your hands, to lie prostrate before the Lord, and you resist that because you are concerned about what other people around you might be thinking, this also displeases God. Again, we, our focus needs to be on what it is the Lord is doing and what he's asking us to do. So that's point one, our posture in prayer. The second is who, who he's praying to. Paul uses this incredibly inclusive language to describe the father. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I think Paul is taking his lead from Jesus when he, Jesus taught in Matthew 6, when he taught his disciples to pray, he used these two words, our father. He could have easily said my father, but he said, no, our father. And Paul is doing the same. He wants the Gentiles to know you are included in this family. You are a part of God's people. So that's who he's talking to. And then he goes on to a section of intercession, praying for something. And you'll notice here that Paul will pray for something and then he'll say why he's praying for it. And I'll give you a heads up. The things that he prays for are strength and power. Oftentimes, particularly in our world now, strength and power are related to or associated with dominance over someone, power over a people. Or like my cousin, the strength to punch your cousin if she's getting on your nerves. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Let's read verse 16. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being 
Why? He says it in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Why? To grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep the Father's love is for you. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul knows that there's a problem at the church of Ephesus, that they are in trouble of being disunified. They're at high risk of becoming fractured because of their differences. And Paul knows that in their own strength, they can't do what it takes to be unified. The human heart is corrupt, it's self-centered. And so he prays, he prays for the Lord's strength. Lord, strengthen them, give them power to understand the extent of your love for them. Help them to understand how wide and how long and how high and how deep your love is. Help them to know in their hearts what is impossible to know in their minds. Paul knows the only way they're going to be able to be unified as a church and as a people of God is if they are strengthened by the Holy Spirit to do so. And it's the same for us. The only way that we can remain unified, even in our differences, the only way that we can forgive one another, the only way we can bear each other's burdens is if we are given strength by the Holy Spirit to do so. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has written a wonderful book called Strength to Love, where he challenges the church to live out of love, even when it is difficult. He says this, only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of the world in a humble and loving spirit. And that is what Paul is calling the Ephesians to. And that's what he's calling us to. And then finally, Paul ends this prayer in worship. He says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You know, Paul is coming to God with some pretty big problems. And I love that he ends this prayer lifting his eyes in worship, knowing that he is coming to a God who is a big God, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. I love that Paul uses this moment of prayer to worship God. And we know that worship is more than a song, but we are also, we also have the gift of music that helps us in our time of worship and prayer. In this prayer, Paul says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And I know for me, music helps with that. I remember some years ago, I was at work and had received some really bad news. 
Uh, I was in one of those states. I just didn't know what to do. I knew I couldn't just go back to work as normal. I went to the bathroom and stood there and didn't really know what to pray until this song came to mind and I just began to sing. Faithful one, so unchanging, ageless one, you're my rock of peace, Lord of all, I depend on you. I call out to you again and again. I call out to you again and again. You are my rock in times of trouble. You lift me up when I fall down. And all through the storm, your love is the In that moment, those were the lyrics of the song that helped me to express what was happening in my heart. I was able to remind myself of the fullness and the faithfulness of God, even in the midst of my storm. I've spent um, the first half of this sermon speaking a lot about my Nan because she was a real inspiration for me in prayer. Unfortunately, my nan passed away eight years ago. And before she did, she had suffered with Alzheimer's 10 years before she passed. And if you're not familiar with the disease, it wreaks havoc with uh, the person's memory. So at first, my nan would forget her keys. And then she would forget her handbag. And then she would forget the fire under the pot. Then she forgot where she lived a few times, actually. Eventually, she forgot her children and her grandchildren. She didn't recognize us anymore. And finally, she forgot her herself. She didn't recognize her reflection. A true and funny story. Me and my cousin went to visit her in, a, in the home that she lived in with her husband in Bristol. And we got into the lift with her. And you know, sometimes the lift has a, a mirror at the back of it. So she got into the lift and she walked up to her reflection. She said, Oh, hello, how do you do? Me and my cousin just looked at each other, horrified that it, this is where it come to. She'd not recognize herself. And then she kissed her teeth and said, that woman is so rude. I'm talking to her and she did not even answer me. To which me and my cousin just burst out laughing. Do you know, the very last thing to leave my Nanan's memory was the songs of praise and worship she had sung for decades. 
songs she had sung and prayed hundreds, if not thousands of times, that meant Christ dwelt in her heart, even when her memory was eroded. Music is such a gift, isn't it? And we often underestimate how much we take in. I wanna encourage us, church, in our moments of worship when we're all together, or even in your own private time, when you're on your commute, engage yourself in worship. It is God's gift to us. And I know for myself, it's allowed Christ to dwell richly in my heart. And I pray that it will do the same for you. I wanna end by singing this prayer. Please sing along with me. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Amen.